Welcome to the Reflective Teaching in a Digital Age podcast series. In these conversations, we discuss technology-inspired changes in STEM education. The title of today's episode is Supporting Teamwork in Engineering Classes. Nicole and I will talk with Dr. Larry Nice, who is a professor at Purdue University with appointments in civil engineering and environmental and ecological engineering. He has been teaching sustainable engineering courses at Purdue since founding them in 2002. He is a licensed professional engineer with research interests spanning across macro-scale human systems down to nanoscale molecular processes. More recently, he has been researching how to transform industrial and urban systems toward a sustainable trajectory, primarily through water and carbon footprint assessment. Dr. Nice has been recognized numerous times for his outstanding achievements in engineering teaching and counseling by various groups, including Purdue University, the Society of Environmental and Ecological Engineering, and the American Academy of Environmental Engineers and Scientists. Today, our discussion is focused on his long-running work to support engineering project teams in undergraduate classrooms. Larry, welcome to our podcast series. It's exciting to have you here today and learn about your experience teaching engineering classes and in particular sharing with us your knowledge and reflections about ways to help engineering students learn how to work together in teams. If you don't mind, before we'll get into the specifics of our conversation, to introduce yourself to our listeners and maybe broadly talk about your area of work interests, as well as provide examples of engineering classes you've been teaching at Purdue University. Thank you, Natasha and Nicole, for inviting me to speak with you. I'm really excited about this. So my name's Larry Nyes, and I've been a professor at Purdue for, I think, 28 years. And I'm just rounding that up to 30 a lot, but it's close enough. And I have a joint appointment in civil engineering and environmental and ecological engineering. And then 10 years ago, I had the privilege of being invited to be a guest instructor in first year engineering. So I, for the last 10 years, I've been working with the amazing team of instructors in engineering education which has really expanded my horizons. And the the courses I teach are um, quite a few on different rotations, but the regular ones I teach are first year engineering education course, um, ideas to innovation. Does that sound familiar? Yes. And then I teach a um, undergraduate course Engineering Environmental Sustainability, a sustainable engineering course. I've been, I invented that course about 20 years ago. It's really uh, an important course for me. And then I teach senior design in environmental and ecological engineering. So my, my first question is, we try to focus on the teamwork because I think a lot of the courses that you've mentioned have teamwork as the central mechanism for learning and for work for students. And it's a very complex idea, I think, for many of the students, because typically for a lot of us, the experience of K through 12, we don't necessarily get any training of how to work in teams. And you come to college, unless you're probably on a sports team. 
and you come to college. And I think for many of the students, they're just really unprepared to uh, all of a sudden work collaboratively. So it becomes this experiential learning that happens quickly and the students really need to figure out how to they work with each other. In your experience, do you, do you remember your first aha moment when it became apparent to you that students are struggling when working in teams? I, I do, and I, I don't remember exactly the year, but it was in my sustainable engineering course, and it's just you you know you you deal with students. Um, that have concerns. Usually it's about what to do with a, with a, con, someone on their team who's not contributing. So what I did was I actively sought out some help, some resources. I went to the Center of Instructional Excellence at, at Purdue and asked if they had resources or if they had someone to help. And um, over the next couple of years, I attended uh, two workshops on mentoring teams in the classroom. And that was the beginning of the journey that I'm still on. So, you know, it's by no means all resolved. Mentoring teams in a classroom is a lot of work. Thank you, Larry. Uh, Are there specific mechanisms you use when you put the students in teams to, I don't know, enhance their ability to work successfully together? Or do you just do a random one, two, three, four, and they're all in teams. What's your process for putting the students in teams? Uh, putting students in teams, that's a great question, and I think it's very important. It's I never use a random process. Mm-hmm. So in the first year engineering course, the, that is a task that's done for me, and it's largely guided by CATME. Um, and in, in we use CATME a lot for different team functions and, and you know, peer evaluations in Engineering 131. And um, I'm not actually sure of the algorithm that's used, but, you know, they try to put together teams with, of students with diverse backgrounds and interests and abilities and, and try to avoid um, constructing teams that with all similar people. So they, they want to mix gender, they want to mix um, academic interests and also uh, abilities. And, and they also want to avoid, you know, isolating, you know, for example, you don't want to have a team of three, where three quarters of the team had English is not their first language, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, in my um, sustainable engineering course, I do it manually based on information I gather from students or from the roster. And, and um, I mix students by discipline. I, I do a learning style exercise in class that um, it provides an opportunity just to get students thinking about that. You know, everybody's different and has uh, different approaches to learning. And I make it clear that I don't expect them to believe there's a scholarly basis for the assessment that we do. In other words, that doesn't define who they are, but um, it's just a thinking tool. And so I try to mix learning styles. And then I also have a rule in this engineering course of um, never... Um, isolating 
a single woman on a team. Um, right. That, that has that's uh, ice I've gotten um, going back a long way, um, in, especially in engineering. That seems to be a really bad idea. Um, so it's it's always good that people have allies on teams. I think so that it, it helps with the, the team environment, and that's basically it. Le- learning styles, and then again, I also try to um, not have multiple students for whom English is not their first language on the same team because there's a lot of writing involved. And then in my senior design class. These are students that have been in my program now for three years, and most of them know me very well. But what we do is uh, I create a survey of their interests based on the projects that I know I have. And then I try to um, match students according to the projects I have and the skills that will be needed and their interests. So it's much more like running a company and you're going to assign employees to a task that, um, so that they'll be successful. Larry, I was also curious, kind of going a little bit back, when you mentioned student contribution to the work process, and that's being one of the first issues that became uh, apparent to you. Did you find any good solutions to deal with that over time? Um, so how to deal with um, disparities in work contribution in a team is a very important topic. So thank you for asking about that. The um, I wouldn't say I have a perfect solution. No, not yet. But I, I like what I'm doing. And as a as background, what I want to say is the experience that most of my students have at Purdue by the time they get into my sustainable engineering class is that professors who assign teamwork do no mentoring or coaching of teams whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So their um, their experience is that people who don't contribute just get to be carried along and earn the same grade as the hard workers. And it's, and they're very, that's why they, they, they have such um there's such a resistance to teamwork, I think, is because they they don't really get any support from instructors. Now, that doesn't apply to Engineering 131, but um, after, once they hit sophomore year to the time they get to my class, and most of my students are seniors, um, they've had bad team experiences. So the way that I um, deal with this is I have a Qualtrics survey that I've set up that's very much um, aligned with the teamwork rubric that I provided you, the AAUU teamwork yeah. rubric. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have them evaluate their peers and they evaluate themselves. And I do this three times through the semester. So that I do it the first time right after the first team project has been submitted. So that it's within minutes of the first team project being submitted, the Qualtrics survey opens for that first assessment. And so that's just sort of establishing the process of doing this assessment. And usually things are still going well because it's very early in the semester and the project was very easy. 
And this, after the second project, which is much more challenging and we're farther into the semester, that's when I really seriously look at those evaluations. And I use those evaluations to identify teams where I might want to have an intervention. And what I do in addition to, I, you know, I, I basically ask similar questions over and over again about, you know, who's leading your team, who's really contributing, and who um, do we need to work with to improve their contribution. So I try to make it very constructive and positive. And when a majority of a team identifies the same person or persons as being low contributors, that's kind of a red flag with me. And the, the process that I use now is I will contact one of the people that's been identified as the strongest contributor in the team, the leader in the team, and I'll send them an email or I'll try to talk to them if I can find them in a, a confidential moment in class and I'll ask them to identify an ally on their team and set up a meeting with me to come and talk with me. So I don't, I avoid meeting with only one person on a team. I try to meet with two. So I try to find the, the leader and the, the person the leader identifies as an ally. Mm -hmm. and, and then we talk about strategies for improving performance. So sorry, again, to mention, so this is you talk then to the leader and the person who is not pulling their weight, right? No, no, no. I talk oh. to the leader and a person that the leader identifies as their ally. Oh, okay. Okay, gotcha. So it's usually like the second strongest person on the team. And, and I want to emphasize that it's, I make it very clear to the students that these evaluations they do are confidential, but they're not anonymous. So these are, this is information that's being given to me, but the other important point that students are told is that I am not the class enforcer of rules. I am the, I am the mentor and I am a guide and what we are going to do is we are going to talk about what you can do internally in your team to create an environment where everybody will contribute in a satisfactory way. When I get these students in a meeting, I talk to them about, so what are next steps? What, what have you done um, in terms of engaging this non-contributing student? What problems or challenges might the student be facing? And have you talked to the person? And um, once I engage with a team in this way, then there's usually multiple meetings, you know, check-ins. How did this go? You were going to, you were going to set up a meeting and talk with them. How did, what happened? And I, I would say most of the time there's an improvement and the, and the team is satisfied, but not always. Because sometimes, you know, you just have a student that is, um, has just disengaged from the university. And, but for some reason they hang on, they don't drop the class. But they're generally, it's not just my course where they're falling short, but probably in all of their courses. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, they're having uh, other issues. And sometimes I might report those students to the Office of Dean of Students. We have a student concern report now 
I don't know if we had that when you were at Purdue. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we can report a student um, to the Office of Dean of Students for any time we have a concern about their well-being, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's um, emotional or physical or anything. So, uh, Larry, I wanted to ask, because it seems to me like that is a very engaging process in what I would have termed pre-pandemic where you would be meeting with these students um, in class time. How has that changed um, once the modality of classes changed? Did you still have that kind of, you know, regular intervention if as needed? Did you find that it was easier or that things got a little bit more complicated when you weren't actually physically seeing the students in front of you? It's, it's much more difficult in a remote environment. Now, the, the one benefit of, of having everything remote is this could be going off on a tangent. I want to make sure I answer your question. You, you know, I would, I would schedule the same kinds of interventions as I normally would, but I'm, what I'm missing is my own observations of the team in the classroom. So I, I have regular teamwork days where mostly what I'm doing is walking around and talking to the teams and I'm observing the engagement of all the students. And when you when you see a student that is has pushed their chair back and they're not engaging with their team or they have a high absenteeism rate, you know, that's always a concern. And I can always just go over to a team and just say in an open ended way, how are things going? And, you know, not just say, like, so where is Joe? Um, but, you know, just, you know it, that observation is really important. But the positive act aspect that's come out of the pandemic is this. Students before the pandemic generally um, do not, follow best practices with getting teamwork done. And by best practices, I mean setting up a collaboration site that everybody has access to and coming up with a work plan so that they can work asynchronously on the project. And then if they need to have face-to-face team meetings, those team meetings are very focused. Instead, students tend to set up these big blocks of time that they have a great deal of challenge scheduling where they expect everybody to be there at the same time and work on the project without any agenda. And, and you know, that's just a very non-productive, inefficient way to do teamwork. And so the pandemic forced students more into what would be considered best practices for project completion, which is using that online collaboration space and then having a separate communication channel, texting, and and so on. So we'll see how things unfold this fall when we're back in the classroom. And actually to continue this, you know, this is also maybe in alignment with my interest when, just to mention that you helped me greatly uh, with collecting the data in your class about six or seven years ago, kind of focus on the use of technology in helping to bring forward the transparency of the team's workflow. So I'm just wondering now if during the shift to online, 
you found that some of the tools were more useful for you to look at the workflow in Teams and give you the insight into their functioning? Yes, sort of. So, um, you know, you really put me down this path of insisting on students having this online collaborative workspace. So I have to thank you for that, Natasha. <laughs> so because before then, this wasn't part of my portfolio of team management. But, you know, that experience combined with working with um, employers who are coming to campus to find our students and developing relationships with our alumni, you know, that is the, the way the work world, the workforce is, is functioning right now. And there are, you know, many, many companies uh, where they have offices in, in multiple countries around the world and you have to work asynchronously like that in a shared collaboration space. So I kind of pitch it to students as this is a skill you must develop. Now, um, in my sustainable engineering class, it's I simply don't have the time to be able to monitor that collaboration space. But in my my senior design class, I do because I set that collaboration space up myself and I'm the owner of it. And then I give each team's uh, specific access to their to, to their cubbyhole, so to speak, within that collaboration space, and uh, I have the opportunity to monitor that. Yes, so I can see if people are not contributing, or you know, I can look at any document and know who's who's putting in most of the work. And so I want to, um, I guess, shift gears to, you, you, based on your experience, what kind of practical advice do you have for other instructors who are, I don't want to say struggling, but who are trying to figure out how to coordinate these kinds of activities in their class? If you had to give some advice, what would that be? Oh, well, first of all, I would say, you know, make a strong commitment to it because it's a, it's a lot of work. Mm. And then I would say decide what your expectations are and what your goals are and um, communicate your expectations very clearly to the students. You know, I, I think that rubric I provided is a really strong foundation to follow in terms of communicating expectations to students of that, you know, where you're going to have a positive team climate and we want to deal with each other in a constructive way. Everybody has something of value to bring to a team and we need to find ways to engage people. It, you know, it's once the environment becomes divisive, then the, then the kind of the team climate is lost. Mm -hmm. And beyond that, I don't I don't know that I would want to say that that some of the things that I do should would be advice. I would maybe suggest that they imagine what working on a team is like in a professional environment 
where there are different layers of supervision. Perhaps you have a team of, of engineers, and then that, that team has a manager that's running their department, and that manager has you know somebody higher up. What would their roles be in that situation? And then think of it in the context of managing people who perhaps are not um, meeting expectations in terms of effort and contribution. Mm-hmm. But the college environment is very different than a professional environment. Um, you know, in the college environment, I, I can't, you know, remove a student from my class for being a poor performer. They're trying to earn a grade and they just want to pass. Some of them just want to pass. Whereas in a professional environment, I think having people that don't contribute at all might be less of a challenge because poor performers are most likely to be let go from their firm at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, usually it's a, you know, a resource limited endeavor, perhaps even a profit for profit company. And people who aren't contributing are most likely not going to be successful. True. And Larry, you know, I was curious about the poor performers in the team. And, you know, I know you talked about maybe more of the extreme cases sometimes when students get really disengaged and maybe they're not planning to continue in college or there are various more extreme situations that um, kind of take students' attention from, from their schoolwork. But generally speaking, what did you find is working to help engage these types of learners? I know you talked a lot about the sort of internal work of the team, that the leaders would talk to them and kind of try to engage them. Are there any other advices for that? I think if, you know, maybe this isn't the best word, but if some form of rehabilitation or improvement is is a possibility, I think the biggest thing is that constructive environment and the student knowing that we care. You know, I get emails all the time from students that are surprised that, you know, there's a professor who actually cares about them as a person. You know, it's kind of sad, but at a big university with so many students, they they do feel like they're not valued as an individual sometimes. So when a professor reaches out to someone expressing concern for their well-being, that very often makes a big impact. And when their teammates also do likewise, that's that's a very powerful force. But if the student is in such a bad situation where even that isn't going to be effective, that's where I'm very likely to step in and bring in the Office of Dean of Students because this gets into mental health well-being issues where professional people that are more more um, qualified to deal with that need to be aware, made aware. Do you think some of the students are afraid to make mistakes when they're working on teams and show their maybe inadequacy or lack of knowledge in some of the areas? Absolutely. That does happen. That very that does happen. You know, one of my favorite stories, and, and not favorite because of the outcome, but, but partly, I had a couple of students come to me, and this was many years ago before when I was working with sort of different practices. 
had two students come to me. It was the last week of the semester, and they were disappointed in their other teammates because they just hadn't done any work mm-hmm. or, or very little. Mm-hmm. And I had a meeting with them before class, and I asked them, I, I said, hey, have you just talked to them and asked them why why is this happening? Have you just asked them? Like, we have class in 30 minutes. Just ask them. And I got an email from them later that afternoon saying they had a great talk, and exactly that was exactly it. These two other teammates were, were a little younger, and they really thought that the two main contributors were such experts that they were afraid of making mistakes. But they were too too embarrassed to admit it. And so I got a really nice email from this one student saying, you know, it would have been so much better if I would have had this conversation with my teammates 10 weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So is this is something that instructors should maybe mention to students? Because, you know, frequently we link making mistakes to actually learning process that it's okay and it's part of the learning to do that. Yes. So I try to mention that frequently in class, that making mistakes is how you learn. Mm-hmm. But the other part of this that I'm adapting and trying to do better with is setting up time and expectations and actual exercises in the beginning of the semester so the students get to know each other as people. Mm-hmm. Because... You know, that's the, that's one of the things I think the research shows that is important in team function is that at least to a certain extent, know your teammates a little bit and kind of a little bit of a, a family environment. Maybe that family isn't the right word, but, you know, there, it, it helps if there's a personal bond there, a friendship. So... You know, I have some ideas on how to improve this a little bit, and I definitely need to put a little more work into this. Mm-hmm. But what I ask my students, they, they write like a team contract. I call it a constitution. So hmm. I changed the word just because contract has a different kind of meaning, I think. You know, I ask them, what would you do if one of your teammates disappeared? If all you have is their email? and you don't even know where they live, and you don't know whether classes they are in, and you don't know any of their friends, you know, what are you going to do when somebody stops responding to email or texts? So I asked them to think about this, and I, I think I need to improve the, the exercises to create an environment where they know a little bit about each other in a team. And really what I want to create is the environment where rather than a student feeling like the next the best step in response to stress is to is to just disappear, but to reach out and say, I'm really struggling and I'm not going to make it. Mm-hmm. I need help. Students are more likely, I think, to just stop responding to text messages if they just don't feel like they have a bond or there's not a level of trust with those people on that team. So I want to do more up front to maybe... Um, establish that level of trust. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I was also wondering, um, like you mentioned, the team exercise, 
to build up a little bit the comfort level with each other before they start working on the problems. Is that something that's helping to students who are a little bit more introverted and maybe not easily, you know, open up to others and have this kind of social ease? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and then that's plus that's the advantage of working in a small group before as opposed to being asked to stand up and speak in front of a class of 100. You know, if you're talking with three of your classmates and you've gotten to know them, you know all their names and you know a little bit about them and they know a little bit about you, it's much easier to um, be interactive and participate actively. That's a really interesting point. So there is some responsibility on the part of the student, but also the instructor has to teach the students how to work well together. Because it doesn't happen. I mean, the research says just putting four or five people together does not mean that they will work together as a team. We have to also teach them how to work together as a team. What are your thoughts on that? Well, we have to, I think we instructors have the responsibility to kind of show them the way and provide the experience. Mm -hmm. But really that the learning is the experience. Right. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I learned from, or, you know, a takeaway I got from one of the workshops that I participated in to try to learn how to mentor teams is to understand this the learning a student might get from a team experience might not have always been a positive experience. And it's not my job to make sure that every single team experience is positive in other words, I mean, enjoyable, but to give them that experience to learn. And, um, the, the real learning, I mean, the real advance in learning is when a student has to or finds themselves in a situation where they're ready to step up and show leadership in trying to deal with a challenge within the team environment. Because, you know, some I have I would say the majority of my teams, more than half of them function just fine and they work it out because they see the expectations that I've set. They know they're being evaluated by their peers and those teams function at a level that doesn't cause me any, uh, there's no indications that I need to intervene. There's no troubles. Um, and then the quality of the work project product is sufficient that it doesn't cause me any concern. Cause that's another reason why I might meet with a team. And then I, in those cases where the work product is very poor, I will want to meet with the whole team together to try to help them. But, um, one of the things that when I'm talking with students that are in a bad situation when I'm mentoring them and guiding them is to encourage them to take on this challenge is I tell them, I can, I said, I tell them, I can almost guarantee you at some point when you're in a job interview, an interviewer is going to ask you a question about a challenge you faced in your, your work life or a time that you've shown leadership and you've stepped up and either solved the problem or shown leadership or something. And I, so I tell the students, this is an opportunity of a story you can tell 
if you if you take this opportunity and work with your team and reach out to your disengaged teammates and improve the team function. And I know that many of the students in my class that have done this do have this as uh, something that is a story they have available to discuss mm-hmm. during an interview of uh, some kind of challenge that they had to deal with or show leadership. And, you know, employers are one of the things they want are people that can communicate well and work in a team. So it's a very powerful story to use in an interview. No, that's really interesting. I, you know, also have a question. You have so much experience now working with different teams, mentoring them, seeing sort of the, the mechanics of what works, what doesn't work. What advice would you give to maybe broadly K through 12 system on what kind of teamwork skills students should learn before they come to college? If you couldn't think of anything. Um, well, I think once skill that's important for all humans is the ability to reflect on what am I bringing to the team and what am I contributing and what are my practices and in uh, how am I interacting with my peers because um, that self you know reflection can lead to some self-awareness and mm-hmm. you know there's all different kinds of situations that can happen in a team but you know, you can, so you, for example, you have the domineering personality that just pushes everybody aside and insists that everything be done their way. You know, some self-reflection might help with that. Mm-hmm. The other part that maybe would be counter to that would be skills with conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. You know, constructive conflict resolution. You know, have, being able to have a discussion about an issue and sticking to the issue and not making it personal and people into their seventies can keep practicing that. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That's very true. I feel like a lot of it is so true for everybody. But, um, you know, just I- interacting with people and showing respect. And, and this gets back to that rubric, the, mm-hmm. the you know, wh- what are the expectations for interacting with other human beings and, I guess in K through 12, it's similar to, you know, the values that most, you know, almost all universities have too. You know, we we expect diversity of opinions and views. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to be civil in our discourse, and, and those are the skills that could. It's never too early to start those things. That was really good. Thanks, Larry. Um, thanks for joining our conversation today. I think we learned quite a lot from you and our readers will intis- uh, will appreciate uh, tips and your advice and experience. All right. All right. Thank you so much. It was really good. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure.